No Ideas Original Podcast, episode 148. We got a good one for y'all. We're going to have Delroy Edwards joining us from the Fathers in Color Podcast. Okay, I see. There he goes right there. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? What's up? How are you? Chilling, I'm chilling. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I mean, we got some some real bad weather. I'm sure you you guys are getting some bad weather by you as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh there was a hurricane down south, but um it's just been raining. It's just been raining. I wouldn't I wouldn't even say it's it's all that bad weather, but it's just been raining. Let's get Robin. Okay. There you go. Yo, what's up, fellas? What's going on, I'm here, bro. Mixed all of this typhoon outside. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was just sharing with him. It's like, man, it's like... Oh, it's like that for y'all. It wasn't even that bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, we getting hit hard. Real I'm hard. A, I'm up in the mountains, so I had to go walk my dog, so I got drenched out there, man. Dang. Oh, man. <laughs> Well, we want to welcome everybody to this episode of the No Ideas Original Podcast. This particular episode, this is going to be a really special one. We're joined by Delroy Edwards, the founder, creator of the Fathers in Color Podcast. Very, mm -hmm. very interesting, interesting topic um, tonight. Well, I have to tell you, I watched your last episode, too. It was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was really good. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, what made you decide to start this podcast and, and why now? Um, one of the main reasons why I wanted to start my podcast was because I wanted to um, I wanted to gain some some fellowhood or some um, fellowship in fatherhood. Um, recently, I became a father of two. Um, so it was very important of, uh, to me to reach out to other fathers and get their um, their uh, their experience in fatherhood, as well as just, you know, just to show up, just to have someone I could talk to about the things that I was going through as a father and hear their perspective as well. So, yeah, now that was one of the main reasons why I created the podcast. How is fatherhood, uh, how's fatherhood going so far? <laughs> now, father is going. I'm loving it. I'm loving it so far. But, you know, we we in the beginning. So, um, right. That's right. Who knows? Who knows where we have to go from here? And that's why that's why I wanted to, you know, speak to more fathers to to gain, you know, just a little bit more knowledge from, you know, all of my resources. Uh, we do a lot of resources. Uh, well, nowadays, you know, uh, when you want to find out something, you know, you jump on Google, you type mm -hmm. it in, you find it out from who knows. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to get uh, get more personal when it came to the information that I received. So I wanted to talk to some fathers about yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's going say, good. It's going good. It's going good. I, I have to say my experience in being a father is like it's it's probably the most rewarding thing that I've ever experienced. It's the it's also the most challenging. It's difficult, but mm -hmm. it's the most rewarding thing also, you know, like just the joy from your, your children, seeing them grow, you know, no matter how big they grow always in your eyes, they're always going to be. You're always going to look and see them as <laughs> little ones, you know, but it really helps you put in perspective just in terms of like the relationship you have with your parents. And I know mm -hmm. one of the things about your podcast that's really appealing is you're talking about like this generational shift, right? Like how, you know, how 
our fathers fathered versus how we fa we father and versus how mm -hmm. our children may potentially father. Can you talk a little bit like um, a little bit about that? Yeah, no, of course, of course. So um, again, so one of the one of the reasons why I uh, created the podcast was because personally, I lacked, um, I lacked, I would say positive um, men in my life. And I wanted to, uh, I wanted to gain that uh, experience or, or garner that relationship with people I knew. Um, mm. So uh, creating my podcast was a way for me to look at the relationship I had with the men in my life, and then change how I uh, reflect my relationship with my son. I have a I have a son who's about eighteen months now, um, and I wanted to make sure that I developed a great relationship with my son from mm. birth all the way until who knows. Um, but definitely, that was one of the reasons why I created a podcast because I wanted to make sure that I I, I made that relationship very strong. Uh, so yeah. It's it's interesting that I, that society seems to be really open to this whole um, thing around like support when it comes to mothering, right? So mm -hmm. there's like all these support groups for what it means to become a new mother, but you know the discussion about support group for what it means to become a new father, and right. the changes and different experiences that we all go through as a result of becoming a new father. For some reason, I, it doesn't seem as prevalent. I don't know if it's that you know like it's viewed as men are masculine and they're not open to having those kind of to seem to exist that network is not out there really? yeah. like it's out there yeah. for um for women i no, i completely hear you on that um another reason why i created my podcast was um because during during the the birth of our two children, I realized that, you know, all the doulas and the midwives, they asked my wife a lot of questions, you know, like, how are you feeling today? They came back, they visited like, you know, like maybe for a week straight, they were coming like every day asking my wife how she was, mm -hmm. how she was doing and so forth. And no one, no one asked me any questions um, as, as far as how I was doing, as far as how I was, you know, dealing with the changes that are in the house. And it doesn't just affect your wife. Um, when you have a child, you know what I'm saying? There's there's tons of uh, stuff that's happening in the home. So that's one of the reasons why I created a podcast, because I wanted to ask other dads, like, yo, how are you doing? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how how, how it has, mm -hmm. you know, having a child changed you or changed the relationship in your home? You know what I'm saying? So I, I hear you. There's a lot of groups out there um, tailored to, uh, to women uh, and to mothers, uh, but there's to me, from my research, there's not a lot of groups tailored to the father. Yeah. that you're starting a podcast that's doing that. So maybe man, you could touch some channels and hopefully we can get some more resources for men. Having thought mm -hmm. in that process of having having a child with their wife or their girl or whoever. I my me me respectively, I'm a little different because I don't have any children of my own. But okay. I've fathered so many children in my years, you know what I mean? From mm -hmm. as young as three months old up into being teenagers. And although I don't have any of my no my own, the responsibility is still the same. You know what I mean? Have to be careful. A set structure, you know, teaching them about res being respectful and saying yes ma'am and no ma'am. Always asking, being polite. Those things are just basic things concurrent with growing up. So um those things are important, and we need the we need the support of more males talking to each other, like like we are doing Correct. now. Mm -hmm. so comfortable 
with being a pops, with being the the soccer dad, or whatever the case. <laughs> Changing some diapers. I mean, when I had to change my first diaper, it was like, oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> but, I you know, feel you. I feel you. But it's the journey, and you have to respect the journey because you know, not for nothing, we think women do this by themselves. It's hard for them too. Mm-hmm. They go through a number of changes, especially post birth. You know, after after birth, and you know mm-hmm. how they change, how they feeling, and we supposed to be be. It is imperative that we step in and be that buffer to mm-hmm. help. Yeah. But then we need we we need a little buffer too. We need exactly exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes definitely hand in hand. Man. Do you have have people been receptive, like in your outreach to actually engage people for interviews or conversations? Have people been um, receptive to it? Yes and no. Yes and no. Um, some people have been very receptive as far as doing the interviews, as far as sitting down and actually talking about their relationships with their children and their wives, you know what I'm saying? Um, mm-hmm. but some 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 uh some men are still withdrawn. You know what I'm saying? They don't really want to share their information or they don't really want to be in a spotlight like that. And um, obviously, you know, to no fault of their own, I I believe, you know, society has made it so that um, men have to have to be like this brick wall. Uh, yeah. And uh, if we show emotion, it's kind of frowned upon. So I, I think that's what's happening with uh, a lot of the men that I speak to who don't really want to do the podcast or more like, um, like, uh, give me some time. Like they, they have that, that, um, they have that, that societal image of, I have to remain strong so that no one really sees it. No one really can break down my walls. So yeah. Um, but there are a lot of people who are like, yeah, nah, listen, this is good. This is good stuff that you're putting out. Mm-hmm. When you when you get to an episode that you know describes how I'm doing in in um in my fatherhood, let me know and I'll hop right on. So yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. dope. That's dope. You know, um, I think one of the things about this discussion that's that's interesting to me, and I was sharing with you yesterday, is that a few weeks ago we had this this whole big back and forth. We were talking about Fifty Cent and mm-hmm. his um his son, his oldest son, and his oldest son's child mother his oldest son's mother and there was like a huge discussion as it relates to like the child support and one of the things that was interesting to me about that discussion that we were having was it appeared that paying child support and being financially supportive was sort of accepted as just being what the norm and the role was for a father and i think we've contributed to perpetuating that belief also and right. the reason why I say that is because, well, for one, aside from just the whole element of, you know, well, you got to pay child support. Some dudes think that because they pay child support, that makes them a great father because they financially take care of their kids. But also you think about like when you turn on TV and you watch movies, how fathers are depicted. Fathers are depicted as the ones that go out, go to work. You know, they bring the money home. They pay the bills. They take care of the responsibilities around the house, like maintenance-related responsibilities. Right. Mm-hmm. But a significant portion of the child rearing is left to the mom. Mm-hmm. And I just and, and and when I look at that, I'm like, well, part of it is society that's created that. The other part of it again is like how we've sort of fell into that role of this is what it is, and this is what defines a good father. And I think that that makes it easy for even to go back to 50 Cent. That makes it easy for people to say, well, 50 Cent paid his child support. So he did his role in terms of raising his um his kid. But 
I don't know why we've sort of become, you know, accepting of the fact that financial support makes you a, a great dad. Because I know dudes that's like really good fathers that don't have the finances to do these wonderful things right. for their children, mm -hmm. but they're able to offer emotional support, mental support, spiritual Time. support. There you go. All, <laughs> all these other, all Time. these other intangibles that for some reason have gotten lost with this this element of, of finances, like you think about it, like when fathers are taking the court, they're taking the court for financial support, you know, but you have you have the opportunity to say whether it is or not that you actually want joint custody. You know, as a dad, that's crazy to me. You could you could be like, no, nah, I don't want custody. I just want to pay my 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 child support. And the, yeah. the, the state or the government, whoever it is, they're comfortable with just the fact that you financially assume the responsibility, you know, when um when I was running a program, we would run family therapy groups, and in mm -hmm. the family therapy groups, we would ask moms and dads to come. Most of the time, the mo the moms came, and one of the things that I would I would ask the therapist, I'm like, well, why are the fathers not here? And a lot of it went just back to again back to role, like you know, in in the family, the role is the dad go out, he's the breadwinner, the mom mm -hmm. is responsible solely for the child rearing. And that to me is just like, I, I don't know how we sort of dispel or how we shift that dynamic from it only being about, you know, financially, you have to be supportive. You know, there, there's other elements that go to making sure your kids are well-rounded and raised properly. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, uh, my, my thoughts are expansive on that. Uh, I do believe that society sets us up for um, for failure in, in that way um, because they've they're the ones that paint that picture. They're the ones that made the movies. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? They're the ones that, that allow, you know, someone to go to court and say, hey, you know, I'll pay my child support, whatever the money it is. Boom. That's it. I'm done. It, not for nothing. If you wanted to, you could say like, hey, he, in, instead, of, instead of the, you know, six, $7,000 that you're paying per month, we're going we're gonna to do it where you have to do 100 hours of community service with your child. Mm -hmm. Boom. Now you locked in. You know what I'm saying? And the, your probation officer or whoever it is is coming in and they're making sure that you're spending that time with the child. The child's writing up reports and so forth. So there are ways to garner that relationship outside of just being like, oh, you know, take this money. But um, our court systems and everything is set up so that, hey, give the money, go back to work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and um yeah and it's 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 crazy that it's like that because if the roles were reversed um everyone would look at a mother like whoa that's what she's doing <laughs> like, that's crazy well, of course get a piece of that that funding that that man did too so he he got paid and all that so that's why it's for them to you know to put a dude on child support because the cost is like all right yeah all right 250 a month a month three thousand a month i'm getting pc of that <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, you're right. So yeah, now it's a win-win for them um, right. because it, one, it keeps the men out of the child's life, which ends up to be ends up uh, steering children more more than likely down the wrong path and back into that court system that feeds their pockets again. So you know, what I'm saying to to me, it's a win-win for them to keep fathers away, especially in our community. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So, yeah, mm -hmm. I guess you know the the financial piece you could you could you could quantify, but the emotional support is not as easy to quantify. And I don't know if people. I think that we now know that there's clearly there's value in emotional support and spending time with your kids. 
But mm-hmm. I don't think that that, for some reason, that like people are willing to to, to kind of lay that to the side as long as financially you're doing what you, you're supposed to do as a dad. And I even think about like TV shows growing up, the depiction of how we were depicted as fathers, right? So you think about mm-hmm. like even a show like Good Times, Good Times, right? The, the, the mom, she was holding down the house, doing all the child rearing, raising the children, everything. Jane's sole purpose was to go out every day. And, and work. just look for work. That's it. Yeah. And that qualified him as being a great a father, father. Right. Mm-hmm. So we we I feel like we kind of put ourselves in this box and we've created this this illusion, if you will, of this is what constitutes a great dad. So if you start thinking about that from generation to generation to generation, then you mm-hmm. you run into a cycle of fathers that potentially are absent from their children's life by finan- by financially their present. Mm-hmm. Believing mm-hmm. that that's what constitutes a great father. Why? Because that's how their father fathered. You know, that's and how their father and their so children. Correct. And yeah. their children are going to say, well, this mm-hmm. is how my dad handled it. And it just keeps that cycle going on and on. And I wonder again, like, how do we, how do we break a cycle like that? You know, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. Um, I, I, honestly, I don't know how we we're going to break the cycle. I know how I'm going to try to break that cycle. Um, and, how I'm going to break that cycle is by having these conversations that we're having um, and making sure that uh, I'm, I'm in my child's life. I am a stay at home dad. Uh, I do work full time. My wife works full time as well, mm-hmm. um, but I stay at home uh, working remote. You know what I'm saying? And I, I understand that not all fathers have that luxury, um, but I'm going to make it so that, you know, my child 18 years from now doesn't hit me up and say, hey, you know, let me give you this 5000 to spend this day with me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because, no, nah, I can't have that. <laughs> I can't have that. Uh, well, we, we got we to gotta come out of the older Dodge when, you know, when black families were fighting for rights, leaving out of Jim Crow going into civil rights. And then there was a split. You know, men coming home from Vietnam, not having jobs. And, you know, women were forced to be put on welfare. But in order to keep their welfare, they had to keep the man out of the house. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You had to hide the clothes, make sure his shoes wasn't at the front door, or they would revoke your welfare. Right. And that hurt. That hurt our community um, more importantly because, the black, you know, the man was the structure. He was the lawgiver. He was the, the, one, the security at home. And once that was there, you know, Mom kind of felt alone. Now he ain't here. What am I to do? She had that little despair, but then she had to fight through that, through the 80s and 90s, and become more independent and become more self-sufficient in what she did because he wasn't around. And that just gave some men kind of the back door, like, well, I ain't there, so I ain't going to be there. Mm-hmm. You know? They didn't fight through the system to get back into their child's life. Um and I think we we are responsible now, now that we know better, to become better men and not repeat some of the things that have happened in the past. Yeah, my you know my my position around that is like I think um, knowledge is important and theory theory is is great, but practice is where sometimes we get stuck, right? Mm-hmm. We can know, but if it's just been routine in our culture and that this is just the way that it goes, and so, and to be honest with you, some of this stuff is just the circumstances of what it is, like you know. In order for us to, to live, we have to, you know, dad got to go to work and hold it down. And this is this is mom's role or whatever it is. And But I, I just feel like as a result of us kind of falling in line 
falling in line with these gender roles that has really done a disservice to right. fathers, you know, it's really mm -hmm. done a disservice to fathers. And it's, it's really, to me, it's lowered the bar also on what it means to be a good father, right? right. Because we've, we, we created this distinction between dads, you know, like, you know, you could be, you could be a, a, a dad that buys your kid everything and be viewed as a great dad. Then you could be a dad who doesn't have anything to buy your kid anything, but you take them to school every day. You know, you take them to all their games or whatever, whatever it is and be viewed Homework. as a punk. Yeah. yeah, you know, they'd be like, oh, he's a simp. <laughs> they'd be like, oh, he's a simp because he takes care of his kids and, you know, loves his wife and so forth. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, we see that all the time. We see that all the time. So um, I, enjoy, I enjoy being a soccer dad. What? I'm telling you. <laughs> in the up, cruising in the car, got 13 kids in the back, yelling, screaming. Yo, listen, man. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it, bro. It was fun for me, man, because I didn't have that. You know what I mean? I was, my pops was, my step-pops did play that role. My biological didn't. But playing that role of, you know, snatching up my friends and, going to basketball practice, you know, they knew that, you know, your friends, with your friends there, making them inclusive made you feel good about, you know, the pops being around it. And your pops became the cool dad. And everyone was going out with Rob dad because Rob dad takes them, they go fit, get the 50 cent freaks. I'm, I'm broke. <laughs> <laughs> you got to set the tone for yourself. You know what I mean? Set the tone for the relationship that you want to have with your son. You know, you pay attention to how he's grown. You know, does he like gymnastics? Does he like sports? Does he like piano? Mm -hmm. You know, you keep encouraging him in that arena and that atmosphere. They like being it and be a part of it. That's like I said, by me not being a biological dad, I've always paid attention to what a child likes. Mm, right. And that I start to grow like, oh, you want to create sneakers? All right, let's go get a pen and paper. Let's draw some sneakers. But you have to be. Mm -hmm. That should be inclusive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Child support ain't going to do that, bro. No, nah, it's not. That's what I said. That's because dads are, are, are evaluated based on their financial um, involvement. Dr. Wade actually has a really good question here. She said, is there a fear component around black men embracing fatherhood for the ones who aren't present? Ooh, ah, where you at, Doc? Is there a fear? I would say yes. Fear of failure. That's always on the table for anybody going into a new situation. I don't want to be like my I don't want to be like my dad. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to be looked at as X, Y, and Z. You know, that that's always uh, um I guess a little dark cloud that hangs over a lot of brothers at some time. Shout out to my boy Hop, who was a good dad that just tapped in. Um, what about what about fear? I think fear responsibility. Yeah, I that's, think that's I was, literally, one. literally. I was just about to touch on that. It's that yeah. fear that, you know, if, if your family fails, you, you're the one that caused that. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because you're supposed, because society looks at you as, as you're supposed to be that breadwinner. If, you know, if you guys become poor or out on the street, that's your doing. And so there's a lot of, I, I feel that there is that fear that, you know what, let me just, even if I hate this job and even if, you know, mm -hmm. it, it cost me, it cost me that relationship with my child. At least I gave them money. Yeah. Right. Uh, so you know, I do think that there's a fear there that, that causes that. The reason why I think, the reason why I say, I think it's like the fear of responsibility also is because I think 
a lot of people aren't able to embrace that when you do have a child, it's no longer only about you. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's some, I think there are some people who just really love the idea of, you know, every decision that they make is solely for them. You know? so that's why I think, you know, that's why I think a lot of people don't embrace fatherhood. That fear more than anything is like, wow. So you mean to tell me not, on, not only am I responsible for, um, you know, for, for myself, now I'm responsible for whatever else comes with being a father. I'll tell you one thing also that I'll say about fatherhood, you know, having, having been a father now for quite some time is that I had to learn in terms of like one of, one of my fears with being a father is that I don't think that there's any perfect method to being a dad, right? So everything that my parents told me, when they told me, I didn't listen. And I didn't value it. I didn't value it. I did not value it. But as I got older and I became a parent, I said, oh, snap. The stuff that they were telling me were true. And they was telling me it because they wanted me to avoid pitfalls that they may have encountered along the way. So here I am with my children, you know, trying to do the same thing. And my fear, my biggest fear as a dad is like, I don't want anything to happen to my children. Bad. I want to create this sterile environment for them where, you know, everything is perfect and it's this euphoria. But the reality of it is that, you know, they have to have their own experiences in order to learn, you know, learn from them, you know, so actually giving them that ability. And we'll talk a little bit more about this later, like that individuality, like to allow them to test the waters and to, to do them and everything. That's something I, I, I had to learn over time with my children, because I'm like, man, I think about the things I did when I was their age. I don't want them doing that. <laughs> I want them to learn from my mistakes. But the reality of it is like, you have to allow them to kind of learn. So let me ask you, let me ask you, so do we, do we fall in the tradition of our parents of being the strict structured parent or the modern parent where we allow a little bit more leniency and a little bit more freedom? Well, that's actually a great transition to what we was going to talk about because, you know, we, we probably grew up in the days where children should be seen and not, not heard. heard. And it was, it was all about, it was, it was, you know, I was fortunate. I don't think my, my, my parents weren't dictators, but they were author- authoritative. Like, you know, like we knew who, who ran the house. There was, there was really, mm-hmm. you know, their word was law. And my I think that was Queen Victoria, son. <laughs> yo, but you know, you know something though? I think that as I, as I be, as I became a parent, I, I sort of released some of the reins around that. But would right. you know what the biggest challenge is in terms of releasing the reins around that? Your ego. Your ego. Because yeah. your ego tells you, I'm the parent, this is the child, you're going to do what I say to do when I, say, <laughs> when I say to do it. So being able to actually check your ego around certain things and invite dialogue, that doesn't make you less of, less of the parent. That just means that, you know, you're trying to create an environment where your kids actually have the ability to be open and feel comfortable with you. If everything that you, your kids come to you to talk to you about you shut it down because you're the expert, then after a while, your kids are going to be like, there ain't nothing really I need to say to you. Yo, damn. Um, my mom my must have heard me. She just chimed in real quick. Like. <laughs> get off me, she tell you. Get off, get off that podcast, Rob. She always <laughs> a moment like this. Damn, Ma, I put you on blast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, I'm serious that you think you think about it like, yo, a lot of it is your, your ego and your ego is what will have you saying, like, wait a minute, you know what? You're going to do as I say, 
-hmm. And that's just going to be it. Even if, even I think the ego is so strong that even if the way that you're suggesting is incorrect, your ego will not allow you to say that you learned something. <laughs> you Seriously. learned something from your Seriously. child. And that's for me. I had, to, I had to let go of my ego and I had to invite dialogue and be a little bit more flexible. You know, and that, and, and for me, I think that flexibility kind of came from, you know, understanding still that, you know what, the authority in this house is still myself and my mm -hmm. wife. We still have the final decision, but, you know, we are going to, we are going to be willing to have that open dialogue and that conversation with you around stuff. What do you, what do you think about that, Delroy? Um, no, I mean, I, I think you're completely right. Um, one, one of the things I noticed in, in my son, who's, uh, who's a toddler, is that we can, we can we can say all we want, you know, like yeah, like hey, get down off that or or stop throwing that, but he's not gonna do it. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, and unless you resort to like extreme, you know, forms of discipline, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? He's 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 trying to you know um, experience the environment and you know find out about his limits through through his own means. And mm -hmm. right now, he doesn't have the form of communication that. Uh, we can, you know, I'm saying we can talk back and forth and have a mm -hmm. full dialogue about what we want to do and what we don't want to do. And he doesn't really have that ability as yet. So he's going to continue to test those limits. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? And um, I think as a father, now I'm starting to see that, you know what, maybe, maybe rather than me telling him, hey, yo, get down off that. You know what I'm saying? I might want to just go over to him and ask him why he's climbing it. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or just, you know, get down on his level and just really try to connect with him, even through body language. If he since he, he's unable to to like speak, um, to to communicate body language wise that hey, this is this might be a little bit dangerous. I'm not gonna pull you down, you know what I'm saying, because I do want you to explore it, but this is a little bit dangerous, so I'm mm -hmm. gonna keep my eye on you. But hey, just be careful as you go through. So no, I definitely understand that ego. You know, a lot of times you think like, hey, this is my house. This is my roof. <laughs> like what, what I said is in stone and that's mm -hmm. it. Like a lot of times you want to think that way, but you know what I'm saying? I do believe that that's something that's passed down um, from how we were raised. Exactly. Um, that makes you think that that's the case. Like, yo, when I was living with my parents, it was like, okay, boom. Like whatever, you know, Whatever happens in this house, this is their house. You know what I'm saying? I have to make sure that I listen to that authority figure and their word was it. You know what I'm saying? So definitely, it's definitely something I'm, I'm getting used to now with my son and is, is making sure that I communicate, you know, the right way. To me, that's the right way. Mm -hmm. I'll communicate that, hey, we, we may not be on equal levels as far as authoritation. Yep. You know what I'm saying? But communication wise we're on equal levels so i need to get down on your level and just communicate like hey this is how things normally work let me know how you're feeling about this situation and we can go forward with yeah that. you know what the you know what the ego does too the ego um makes us feel embarrassed in public because we view this you don't have no control of your child <laughs> <laughs> you need to get control of your child but yo i'm not even talking about from a toddler age i'm talking about even if you even if you think about when kids get older and they they doing things in the community, people are like, "Oh, Miss Janice ain't got no control of her kids." Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's just something about that that ego piece that I think that sometimes jams us up. And I want to just go back to what you were saying a few minutes ago because I'm listening to you talk, and what I hear is sort of like the evolution of 
parenting, like where we have come as fathers of color or parents just in general of color, where mm -hmm. we've come from before, where it was like, yo, get down on this level. I wear the pants in this house. He going yeah, to do what I say. <laughs> that's it. That's what you you know? And that was viewed, you know, like the stuff that you, the stuff that you're saying is actually good parenting, but it was a time where that was viewed as, oh, this man, don't have, you don't have no control of your kids or you let your kids do whatever because, you, right. because of, think about your lexicon. Like, you know, I'm, I'm going to allow my kid to explore. You know, I want to, get down on this level. I want to see what my child got going on or whatever. That's viewed as, yo, you, you got no control of your kid kind of thing. And that's yeah. why, I mean, the ego, I think, comes into play and people get shamed into becoming this like overly authoritative parent where they just, every everything that kid do, they spend the time chasing behind them, trying to put them back and get, get them in check. Like, no, you're not training um, your, your dog. These are your children that you want to have a conversation with. Yeah, Rob, I see you want to say something. Nah, it's, it's, I was going to say, it's all in how you administer what you're trying to teach to your child, man. It's more than one way to skin a cat. Mm -hmm. you know, I, yeah, I come from the velvet glove and the iron hand. It looks soft, <laughs> but don't play with because you know, I'm a firm believer in being firm, but fair. Mm -hmm. You know, with, with maybe coming down to his level, but looking at him, what I've noticed with, with children is that I raise my voice an octave, it already hits a bell in the head, like, uh oh. Mm -hmm. He's upset. Versus, hey, won't you do it? Then it's like, oh, dad is cool now. He's all right. He's he's on my level. You know what I mean? So there, there's a there's a median that you that you definitely have to have to play with with um with raising children, definitely. Yeah. Stamsink said, What y'all think about kids see too much on the cell phone? Same images going to Going and print it in your head over and over again. I look. Well, I, 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 I feel sorry. I feel sorry now for like parents, you know, because before we had we had dial up, and, and then mm -hmm. some of the stuff that parents are now encountering. I I don't know how. Look, you got to be a new age parent, but that speaks to the point of what I was saying about the evolution of a parent. You know, especially the evolution of a father, like how you fathered in the past. You know, it's May not be able to father the same way now. My mother's not giving me no phone, bro. She was taking me off the phone. Now, now I'm giving children the phone. That's a, that's a lot of freedom, bro. Remember when we, you, you, when we had advantage of using the phone, we had to wait till we get home to use the phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had a dime or a quarter. Damn, I, went, I said a dime or a quarter. <laughs> but now we give children this freedom. On the phone, and most parents ain't putting the parental lock on there. Say, don't go to this page, that page. It's like, here's a phone. Call your friends or call me when you get home. The child ain't gonna do that. It's gonna search the web. It's gonna Google the ideas. Friend said all these different things. You know, that's 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 a way we grew up. Now, how do you administer a child on a phone on TikTok? It can't, it's almost hard to because if you're a single parent. You're at work, child comes home from school, you don't even know if it's done his homework until you get home. By that time, the kid that made 500 TikToks, you know what I mean? And then been all through the, the internet, and, then, and now they're tired and they haven't even done their homework. So I don't, I, honestly, if anyone is giving their child a phone under the age of 10, you need to be tapped on your hand, man. That should, I don't even think that's the, the right way of parenting. That's my opinion. 
You know, well, shoot me. Well, look though, look look where we going because there was a, there's a point in time where most people didn't get a cell phone until they were over eighteen. You know, now it's like like you, we we the the bar's been lower. We talking about now ten. Ten. So what's gonna happen ten years from now? You're gonna be like, well, he's six years old. He need an iPhone. Go ahead and give him his iPhone. I I think where I think where that lies is is definitely gonna be in communication. You're gonna have to get on a level with your child where they're communicating with you what's going on on the internet and on their phones and so forth. I remember like for, for me, you know, um, be growing up, I wanted to be outside. You know, I didn't want to be in the house at all. Like, you know what I'm saying? If I'm in the house, that means I got to read, you know what I'm saying? Or, you know what I'm saying? I got to clean, you know what I'm saying? And I don't want to do none of that. So I'm outside, you know, I'm outside. If, if, if we wake up at, seven in the morning we're eating breakfast i'm going outside and i ain't trying to come back until the lights go out and i'm like mm -hmm. all right let me go get home nowadays you have to essentially like uh you force your kid to go outside like yeah. hey you know what i'm saying go outside and it's like oh what am i going to do outside you know what i'm saying it's like what there's a world out there <laughs> for you to so i really just i really just feel like communication is what is where we have to go as parents now to to let kids know that hey the internet isn't as as safe as you may think it is um and should something happen i need you to know that you can come to me with any anything um without judgment you know what i'm saying it's almost as if like back in the days if you would have went outside and you saw you know what i'm saying and you got into a fight you wanted to make sure that you could come home and tell your parent like hey i just got into a a, a scuffle or a fight with someone out on the streets and they were okay with with okay what happened who was it? You know what I'm saying? Did you win? You know what I mean? But <laughs> like you wanted to make sure that you were able to communicate that like, hey, there's things going out in the streets. The same way now we have to make sure that our kids can communicate that, hey, there's things going on online. And I want you to know it without being like, hey, that's why I told you not to not mm -hmm. to go on the Internet. You know what I'm saying? Once you blow up like that, it's like I'm not going to tell you nothing else that happened. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it is def a lot of it is definitely in um in our approach. I think another thing that I learned as a father also is that some 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 child rearing and discipline has to come in the form of natural consequences, right? Like for things that's unsafe, of course you need to intervene as a parent. But then mm -hmm. there are other things that natural consequences, you know, take care of take care of it. Like if your kid is not taking care of their shoes or their video game system or whatever, and it breaks. Well, the natural consequence is that you didn't take care of your stuff. This is what happens as a result of it. Kind That's of thing. You know, but I think you got to get to a point where you're actually comfortable with, that, with allowing natural consequences to take place. But I think sometimes we get so, so we, we become so anxious to try to administer some type of discipline, you know, out of fear of feeling like, all right, we're not doing what we're supposed to do as a parent that and administering that discipline, sometimes the lesson gets lost because a lot of times it's punitive. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the the what they say, the um the the time gotta match the crime. Like yeah. people come up in unrealistic things they'll grind a kid or ground a kid for. They'd be like, Yeah, you can't go out for the whole summer or whatever. Somebody tell you you can't go out for the whole summer, then what lesson is learned in that? Like, okay, yeah, they're gonna be like, Well, I missed curfew. So now I can't go out for the whole summer. But at the end of the day, if you want your kids to develop, you got to give them an opportunity to practice a skill again, mm -hmm. right? And then after a while, certain things don't have any value. It's almost like if you tell a kid, you know, okay, you want a, you want a new 
Xbox, I'm gonna give you a dollar a day. You think kids understand the time of concept? A, a year for a kid is different than a year for an adult. They're like, wait a minute, that's not even realistic. I gotta be good for a year and you're gonna give me a dollar each day. After a while, the kid is gonna give up with, on this. So, yeah. you know, you, I might you as well just be bad you. real quick and just do what I wanna do. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It has no value. You know, the other day when you were talking to you, um, you had mentioned, which I think is also a, a very good discussion. You were talking about like um, mental health mm -hmm. right? and mental health and, and, and father's investment and mental health. And father's almost just like a selling point to actually make sure that their kids or their families engaged in mental health. You want to speak a little bit about that? Yeah, without a doubt. So um, now I'm big on mental health. Uh, my wife's a mental health therapist. And so that that really got me into understanding my own me mental health. Um, I, well, before I get into that, I do want to say happy Veterans Day to all my fellow servicemen. Yeah, you know thank you um, for your service. <laughs> you know, um, personally, uh, I suffer from, you know, anxiety, P PTSD mm -hmm. um, from the military. And after leaving the military, there was I, I still didn't feel that there was anybody I could talk to about it. I didn't go to my VA, you know, I didn't do, um, I didn't do any of the things that you would think that people will, 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 would, um, would do. And so after meeting my wife, that's when she's obviously, uh, it's her profession. She's an advocate for mental health. And so that was one of the big things that I, I was driven into is making sure that, you know, you'd see someone that you talk to someone. And right. it's something that because of that, because of the, the relationship with my wife and because of the relationship I now have with myself, there you you know, go. I, I have to be adamant about it too. So to me, to me, it's a, it's a guarantee that, you know, if you're a father, you should definitely seek out counseling or mm -hmm. therapy to better your mental health, to better your family mental health, because they're looking at you as like, okay, if my father thinks it's like, you know, um, it's like black magic or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Then I don't gotta do it either, you know what I'm saying? So, you know what I'm saying? I think that in our society, um, it's it's thought of, you know, or not in our society, in our community, it's thought of that mental health is, you you have to be literally in a straight jacket before someone's like, all right, let's, let's, let's send him to therapy. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And I think therapy is more preventative than it is you know, wait till the problem is here. And then now let's seek some help. Yeah, I agree. There's definitely the stigma associated with it. And, you know, like I was saying you know, the other day, there are people that still think that folks who seek treatment are uh, crazy. Mm -hmm. you know? But to me, the people who don't seek treatment are the people who actually should wear the crazy, the crazy label. You know, it's just, it's just a misconception in terms of what a therapist actually does. And a lot of people, to be honest with you, don't know the difference between a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and a clinician. So that's why sometimes you hear a person be like, well, you know what? You need to go see a psychiatrist or you need a psychiatrist to give you some counseling or whatever. Like, no, psychiatrists no talk therapy, but psychiatrists also prescribe mm -hmm. medicines. Clinicians don't prescribe medicines. Clinicians predominantly work in the form of talk therapy. Psychologists do psychological evaluations. So there are different things there, but I don't know if people take the time to educate themselves around it predominantly because of probably the stigma associated with it. And like you said, like most of the time, it, 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 to me, it seems as if we're reactive, like something has come up. Or the other thing that's sad about it is that if there's some sort of court mandate to do it and mm -hmm. we're forced into seeking treatment, then we've gone into treatment begrudgingly 
And then are we really doing the work for ourselves or we're just doing the nah. work with the same saying, like, I need yeah. to do this to meet the court mandate. But I, I, I'm a fan of, um, I'm a fan of therapy also. And the reason why I'm a fan of therapy is because I think that many years ago, we didn't spend enough time talking about how to take care of our physical health. And as a result of it, I think we saw things like childhood obesity and stuff like that. Really, mm -hmm. We got information and we realized like, okay, we need to really place some emphasis on making sure that, you know, we do something to counteract childhood obesity and get these things under control. So we put all this time and energy and research into physical health. And only now we turn in a corner where we're starting to try to put not nearly as much as we should, but some energy into actually talking more about mental health and mental health treatment. Because the reality of it is mental health treatment should start at a school age. Like kids mm -hmm. have the opportunity to know like this is a this is a safe space where you could go talk to somebody, you know, if you're going through something so you can have an outlet so you can process what it is you're feeling. You could talk about right. how these things, um, how your behavior is manifesting as a result of these different things. But again, there's this that stigma that's associated with it that helps people shy away from it. You know, like now I feel we have more people who are mental health advocates that are in the public eye. So now therapy is starting to become a little bit more cooler than what it was. But before I know when I was growing up, people that was in therapy in our community, we were clowning them. Or they kept it a secret. They, it. they kept it a secret. Imagine you keep that you're in treatment a secret but you really need all these other people that impact your life to potentially come into therapy with you to help mm -hmm. you heal. And you can't bring them in because of the secrecy associated with it. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of um, therapy. Now I hear you. I mean, nowadays, nowadays they're, they're I mean, to me, they, they've made strides um, because um, nowadays you have like apps for it. You have like better help uh, and so forth where you can just go and talk to a, a, a therapist yep. um, just as easy as you could get on your phone and talk to anybody else. So I really think that we made strides in in that um, in that area. But just like how you you see people, you see a lot more people at the gym. I should say yep. you see a lot more people working out. You know what I'm saying? On uh, if if you if you scroll through your reels and so forth, you're gonna see a lot more people working out than you're gonna see people sitting down talking about mental health. Um, mm -hmm. And I think once those two things do. Um, become equal that's when we'll see that shift where we're like okay we're in a better better headspace now yeah and and you know what's sad that goes back to what i was saying again about the ability to quantify you can see somebody working out and you can see the end results oh this person mm -hmm. you know their their shape their physique you know but what people don't really realize is what's under the hood you know right. if you're not gonna if you're not gonna do the work on what's under the hood then the physical aspect is 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 gonna go out the window just the show baby that's all it is <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know um the other thing that I, I i think in terms of fatherhood that i learned also and i was saying this to you is the part around like suspending our own beliefs in terms of what we believe um what yeah. we want for our children i think is a big one also and i use the example i was saying to you like you know like if you you're in the military or you graduated from college or you're a mechanic this whole need, you know, as a father to be like, well, you know, I went to West Point. You got to go to West Point. Or, you know, mm -hmm. I went to HU. You got to go to HU. Or, you know, this family for years and generations, you know, we, we owned the garage and worked on cars. So you got to be, <laughs> you got to work on garages now too or whatever. Like, I think that that's a real struggle for fathers also in terms of allowing their kids to have 
some level of individuality to figure out who they are and what they want to be on their own. Nah, I, I completely understand um, what you're saying in that. I think there are, I do think now that there are some plus and minuses to it both. Mm -hmm. um, I do think that we do have to uh, give our child that, that freedom to, you know, explore their own beliefs um, as well as their own career paths and so forth. But I do see that there are some pluses um, to to how it's been done in the past. For instance, the the whole, you know, A, I'm a doctor. I've been a doctor for 15 years. I've, mm -hmm. I've created this, this private practice, you know, for myself. And now it's time for me to retire. It would be nice if my child took right. over those reins. I built this business from the ground up. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to just give it to some some somebody else, some rando. So it would be nice if my child uh, could take over and continue this legacy of of being doctors in the family i'm not saying force them to do it mm -hmm. right. it would be nice so maybe if you maybe if you communicated this at a younger age and maybe if you had a better um a better like i wouldn't say better relationship but kind of a better relationship with how your your child sees your work maybe you wouldn't have to force them to do it maybe mm. it would be something that they'd be proud to do what do you, you know? what do you what do you say in an instance like that where your, your child says to you, you know what, I think it's great that you're a doctor and you've done this, this practice, but I want to be a musician. And that's what my dream is, to be a musician. How do you, count, mean, how do you counteract that? Because <laughs> you're like, I built this practice. So that's what I'm saying. Like, that's the tough <laughs> part because, because a lot of that stuff, you know, sometimes is more so about us as the father, right? We, mm -hmm. we look at it, we like, you know, this is what I want my kid to be, or this is what I envision my kid to be. Or you know, I went to, I went to um to Clark, and when I was at Clark, this is what I pledged. So you got to pledge Boom. that. And you know, what if your kid doesn't aspire to do those things? How do you make space for them to actually have the opportunity to do it? And I think what you're saying makes sense. Like if they take an interest in it at an early age, you introduce them to it, and then you cultivate that, and then it becomes Correct. like this natural, this mm -hmm. natural fit. Like this is what I want to do. Yeah, but I think it also could be heartbreaking for if dad don't. if you if you like you described it you know I, I really want you to take this practice on this is going to be in the, the family's names the family legacy and they'd be like yeah I, what i really was thinking i want to do is i really want to be a manager at mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> i mean listen listen I, I think about it i'm not gonna lie i think about it all the time. Um, i pledged uh, i pledged alpha phi alpha fraternity mm -hmm. um in college and so every now and then I look at my son and I'll be like, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I can't wait for him to, you know, get to that that point where I'm like, okay, boom, you're a legacy. But then I also think like he has uncles, he has, um, he has, he has aunts and so forth that pledged other organization. It would be a disservice to me if I was to just be like, nah, you're gonna be an alpha, and that's it. If you were to, if you were to pledge Kappa, or if you were to pledge Q, I'd be like, nah, I ain't even coming to your program, whatever. You know what I'm saying? To me, I still have to show up no matter what org you join. You know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Or even if you don't join an org, I still got to show up for you because mm -hmm. at least you're doing something that you want to do. Yes. You know what I mean? So it, trust me, I, I think about it all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah. the other day my son was out in um, the queues in Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. They had their, um, their, their regional. Uh, and my son was walking down the street and he was like, <laughs> And I was like, stop that. <laughs> I 
like, don't do that. <laughs> I was like, we don't do that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, if if and when it does come to where he wants to make that decision, that's that's the decision. I'm proud that he's he's willing to do the research, research and so forth, and go into. Yeah, is that is that a little ego driven for 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 a dad to feel like I want my child to be like me? Because yeah. it really is, yo, it's mm-hmm. about you and not about them. That's what I'm saying. About mm-hmm. from an individual standpoint, the flip side of it is imagine, think of, think about it this way. So you you are saying that these are things that I wanted to achieve in life. I never had the opportunity to achieve them. I wanted to go to Harvard. I couldn't get into Harvard. And then you make your life mission is now to make your child <laughs> go to Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> Boot camp. They become running back because you don't have <laughs> And we do these things with good intent. You know what? It's hard to really disseminate it's a, it's a, what it's, it's about because who wouldn't want their kid to go to Harvard? Who wouldn't right. want their kid to be a, 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 how you call it, an NFL running back or whatever it is? So it's easy to lose sight of, like, this is not really what they want. This is what I want. Because me. still, at right. the end of the day, it's a wonderful, a wonderful goal. Right. But for me, it's kind of like, all right, at some point in life, I had to take a step back and like, these are the things that I saw for them and what I right. want for them. Right, but right, these right. are individuals that have they're growing up and I have to be I have to be open to what it is that they want. Why? Right. Like my my my, uh, my daughter went to Clark when she went wow. to Clark. She um she majored in public relations. I was like, yes. Public mm-hmm. relations is great or whatever because I'm in social service. So I'm like, yeah, yeah I, I like that. Somebody in public relations. And then I think year two, she ended up um, calling me up and she was like, yeah, I'm cha- changing my major to early childhood education. And I was like, why are you, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Like my mind didn't go to say, yeah, that's what you want. But then I caught myself and she was like, no, I took some classes. I was like, oh, okay. No, and now she's working on her master's and her master's, she's going back to public relations. But I had to be open to at least giving that space and allowing her the freedom to make that determination on her own. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, you could be the black Lizzie Grubman. You could be PR extraordinaire. You could do this. You could do that. This is what you're going to do. And then when you get there, you understand. Whatever. I had it all formulated out in my head. And I'm like, but this is kind of her life. And I got to let her live her life. You know, and then I, even though I didn't communicate these things to her and we have a great enough relationship, I wonder if I was somebody who was more communicative with her around this, the kind of pressure it would have put on her. Would she yes. have felt compelled, like, damn, like mm-hmm. my dad want me to stay in public relations? She don't want to let you down now that you don't put all that in her head. Like, damn, my dad really wants me to do this. Yeah. Do this. <laughs> and that's something that I think generation to generation in particular for um, fathers of color that sometimes we get roped into because we only we want the best for our children. We want the best for our children, and, and we see this potential in them. Like, you could do this. You know, you have the, you have the potential that you could go to Harvard. You mean, I've I seen you play Pop Warner football. There's no reason why you couldn't get drafted by the Giants. Oh, you're a wonderful guitar player. You can start a band. You can do this. You can do that. And then we lose sight of that somewhere along the lines, your child determined that, you know, like I said, they want to, you know, I really like fast food. I want to. I want to go into the fast food industry. Whatever it may be, you know, we laughing, but whatever it may be. It's, I think, it's I what, think what, what we do have to come to terms with is that, you know, feelings change. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? You, you might have wanted to be, you know, an animator when you were five. You know what I'm saying? And then you want to be a singer when you're like 10. 
and you want to play basketball when you're like 16. And uh, I think that we have to come to terms with all of that is okay. You know what I'm saying? And do what you do, what makes you happy at whatever age it makes you happy. Mm -hmm. And I'll support you either way. If, if tomorrow you came to me and you was like, listen, I want to, I think I want to play basketball. It's like, I right, boom, I had this Jersey in the back. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> <laughs> I was ready for this. You know what I'm but I do think we have to just support them uh, by any means necessary, support them in whatever they want to do. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, believe me, it's a, it's a toughie though, because, you know, you, you, you see them and you see all the potential and you see all the things mm -hmm. that they, um, no, you know, I knew in the world you couldn't tell me Kiana wasn't going to the WNBA, bro. But <laughs> <laughs> by the junior by her junior year, I was like, yeah, this is not going to work, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what was it? It was just that her interest for it? Her interest, which was not to be, you, you know, you get into high school, it's ninth grade, you're starting to learn your environment, you learn who's cool, what's cool, what's everyone doing. And when basketball kicked in, I was like, well, she want to play ball? But hold on I'm a second. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Add some background context to this and why this was so exciting for you. That she wants to play ball, Rob. Why? Because I play ball. Because <laughs> <laughs> I play ball. It was a shoe-in fit that, listen, I got all the skills. I got all the resources. I got so many friends who are coaches. There's no way in the world she can go wrong. There's no way in the world. She's right. She's playing for the Liberty right now, son. <laughs> I was like, Nope. This girl don't even know what her sneakers is at. She don't even know what <laughs> totally out the window. And I had to I had to just come to grips and be like, whatever she decides, I'm gonna love it just as much, bro. Mm -hmm. There we go. There we go. Yeah. That's there we go. Yeah, that's a tough pill to swallow though. Swallow because I ain't gonna lie, I see see me and Mel sit the front row. Yeah, son. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a tough that's a tough pill to swallow, man. Imagine, though, imagine you see that your child has all this potential. And you yeah. like they, you put them in boarding school and everything. You're like, yeah, they're locked to go to Princeton. And then they come to you and be like, you know what I was thinking? I think I'm just going to take the next two two years of my life and just travel the world. Or you're going to be looking and be like, what? you going to do what? Travel. <laughs> and say, you know, Princeton is a lock. Like we already got that in a bag, and you want to go two years? That's that's the key. That's the key. What you just said right there, though, Delroy. We, 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 we exactly. We, we, we got that, we got that in the bag. So I'm saying, like that, that part. Of, and for those that's in the chat that have children, you probably could speak to this also. I just think that that's it's just very, very difficult to allow that space for individuality. Even if you think like on a smaller scale, like you know when your your kids are in high school and they pull up with these weird outfits or whatever or they decide they want to do their hair a certain way or whatever you look and you like yo what the hell what is this what is this weird about tattoos piercings mm -hmm. you, you just gotta <laughs> let it ride man and you know and kind of administer to them you know still take care of yourself still be passionate about it you know don't just be hit, hit it and quit it type of thing. You, you, I mean, you're young. You can taste the, you can test the waters. But at the same time, you're gonna have to. Whatever you decide, you're gonna have to commit. Right. If you want to get the best out of what it is that you're looking to pursue, you're gonna have to commit to it. Yeah. Good, bad, 
different. You're gonna have to lock in. This is a great, uh, great question from um, Dr. Wade. <laughs> what does relationship recovery look like in parental relationships that didn't start so well? Hey, Doc, you're hitting us with the question, Doc. What do you, what, what do you, what do you think about that, Rob? Because I know you shared earlier. You said that, um, you know, your, that your dad wasn't in the home, and well, you know, well, my dad not being there was big, because well, it wasn't big because. It was it was big and it wasn't big, but my, my dad not being there, my stepdad stepped in. But my stepdad died when I was thirteen. So at thirteen, I had to take on this idea this idea that my dad is gone. How do I replace his shoes? How do I step up and become a man now? Wow. You know, mom's is going through the traumatic loss. My sister, you know, she's just like. The man that was buying all my clothes is gone. So how do I manage that? So, you know, one of the things my father told me was that, for one, he said, son, don't go to jail because they're going to rape you in jail. He was very strict. <laughs> 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 one thing about my father, he didn't he did not pull any punches. <laughs> he told me, he said, if you stick your head, if you hang out on the street as long, right along with your friends, you're going to jail. It was just certain things that stuck in my head and said, I'm not going to do that. So at an early age, not having him around and my biological father being around, I had to straighten up real fast. Mm. You know what I mean? And pay attention to the environment around it and just do things with a, with kind of with a sound mind and, and really think about the consequences before that happened. You know what I'm saying? So now that, you know, I'm around children, I, I give them the freedom how did it screw up? I let them bump their heads now. You know what I mean? I tell my wife, I said, babe, lead them a time. They're going to tell on themselves. And like like clockwork, every last one of my children tell on themselves when they do something they ain't supposed to do. I said, now it's time. Now we can administer why that happened. Because now the damage is done. They felt the pain of the failure. And now we can administer it. Not with putting a band on and say, look, see, I told you. This is what happened, but you didn't want to listen. So, you know, the recovery for me was um, just pretty much manning up. And thank God I had uncles, other father figures around me where I can emulate those images and become the man that I am today. You know, there's a, a gentleman, um, I shout out Mr. Um, Mr. Calvin Smith I, I met in um, in Maryland. This was a man who took care of his wife. He took care of his kids. I mean, he did so much for his wife and his kids that he bought all of their clothes. Mm. This man will literally buy his wife's clothes and his children's clothes and come home. And the only thing this man didn't do was cook. I mean, he would he would change. He changed all the oils, oil all oil changes in front of the house for all his. I mean, he did everything. I was like, damn man. And he was a deacon too. Like, yo, you just you just. All the awards, bro. Like, how you doing all this? <laughs> but he made time for it. That, and that was the thing. He made time for it. He said, yo, I could go pay $35 to get my oil changed, or I can put my car up on the edge of the curb. It takes 15 minutes. Mm. Show me that. I was like, ah, see now? You got to think about it first. You can easily go pay a man to go mow your lawn, but if you invest in a decent lawnmower, you ain't got to pay nobody. Mm. You can go out there and mow your lawn yourself. So being self-sufficient, watching other men become self-sufficient allowed me 
to become that type of man. So when I teach my children how to be self-sufficient and do things for themselves and, 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 and just pay attention to what they're doing, it seemed, it seemed to work out very well. Or you can mow your lawn with your kid, teach them to do it, and spend you, time. I, you, I, I think, you put the lawn mower, let's work together out here. I think, I think in terms of relationship recovery, one of the things that I think is important is that when we get older, understanding the human element of our of our parents you know our parents i think when we're younger there's this lore this mystique about who they are and sometimes we lose sight of that they're human beings and with them being human beings they're flawed they're imperfect mm -hmm. and i think when we get older we begin to have the ability to understand and to probably see their imperfections and be able to actually verbalize their imperfections in a way where it invites and welcomes a dialogue, you know, like those, like we were saying earlier about children are to be seen and not heard, you know, as a kid, you may spot those imperfections, but you know, that doesn't mean that your parents are going to be receptive to hearing mm -hmm. them. So I think understanding when you get older, the human element of that they were learning and that a lot of the things that our parents did with us, they experienced from their parents. So to me, the idea is from generation to generation to improve on whatever it is that we learn. The other part of it, I think, also is getting to a place where our parents are um, receptive, you know, like that they're, they're receptive to some of the things that they use, some of the strategies that they they um, they use with us were not necessarily always the correct methods. And I think if you could have that dialogue, right. begin to have that kind of exchange, to me, it invites an opportunity for um, for relationship recovery but all only all of that only happens is, is if that i think if both parties are vulnerable and vulnerability is vulnerability is a, a big piece right like so feeling comfortable enough again to be able to go to your parents and say you know well when i was younger this is the experience that i had or this is what my childhood was like and your parent being receptive and having the willingness to hear that rather than becoming defensive and going off on you you know the standard tagline around a lot of this stuff which drives me crazy is when you hear parents say, uh, well, I did the best I could, or, well, you turned out all right. You know, to me, that's all dismissive of trauma that mm -hmm. people have experienced. You can't tell a person, well, I did the best the best I could, or you turned out right. Like, there has to be an openness for you to actually say, well, you know, well, talk to me and tell me about the experience that you had. You know, yeah. tell me what it was that I, what I did. You know, and I think that if you actually invite that dialogue, that helps improve that, that helps improve a person for when they become a parent if they're not already a parent, right? right? Yeah. Like, one of the things that my youngest son has said to me that kind of had me laugh, yo, my youngest son is, like, chock full, of, <laughs> chock full of jokes. Like, some of the stuff he say, we used to say, like, he has no filter. But one of the things that he said to me before, yeah. he was like, you know, um, you guys, he was like, you guys got to learn to let your kids kind of um, grow up and allow them to be more responsible or whatever. And in my mind, the first place my mind went, again, ego is like, I want you to be responsible, but if you keep coming to me asking me, can I give you money for this or that or whatever, <laughs> it's kind of hard for me to say, yo, let, let you grow up. Like, you can't have you can't have it where I want you in dad mode when I need something kind of thing. But the reality of it is like maybe, maybe the role of the dad is to kind of be that safety net, the safety blanket for when you fall or pick you up. Not necessarily financially, but I just thought that that was a really good nugget from him to say, like, you know, it's okay to loosen the reins a little bit, like, give us a little bit leeway, and that'll help in terms of our advancement to get to become adults where you are, you know? So, and, and again, like, I think in terms of recovery, 
for um for relationships like you really have to have or be in a place where as a parent you're receptive and there's a level of comfort for people to talk and share openly you want to add anything to this Delroy? um yeah yeah no i i think as far as relationship recovery i think it has to start within um i i think that therapy plays a huge part in that i think that at some point you need to um you need to go and speak to somebody and let them know you know how how you were feeling about the relationship that you were having with you know say say for instance your mother or your father mm -hmm. um i think that once you once you build that build that up within yourself. You know, you, you speak to someone and you're, you're able to become vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? Then you can speak to uh, who, whomever, mother or father, and actually start building upon that relationship. Otherwise, you, you might become triggered. You know what I'm saying? They might say something and you're like, see, this is why I didn't talk, come and talk to you in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then you're going back in that, in that space where you're not communicating. So I think therapy is something that's going to to allow you to you know handle uh, being triggered in that situation and and allow you to like look within yourself and be like you know what hey this is how you know I normally speak to this person let me see maybe it's a miscommunication or something along those lines um, or maybe I need to bring that person into therapy with me uh, so that we can talk it out but I think once you once you look within yourself. You know what I'm saying, and build up who you are. That's when you can have relationship yeah. recovery. Otherwise, you you're always gonna be. It's it's like a cycle. You're just gonna be falling backwards. Yeah, and that un that unresolved trauma, that unresolved trauma, mm -hmm. when you don't address it, it just goes from generation to generation. You know, like exactly. you become resentful, and then that resentment shows up in a relationship with um with you know your kids and it's just it's just nice and no way ken said at a point you turn from a parent to an advisor that's absolutely correct that's absolutely and you i know you just came in a little bit later but we was talking about like the shift making that shift in a sense to a to an advisor right because we have these expectations of our children based on what we think they should be or what they should be doing and then when they don't follow the script like we laid it out that's when i think <laughs> hey, Gail, you what you mean to tell me you don't want to go to the WNBA? <laughs> yeah, bro, heartbroken stuff. <laughs> well, this is this is this was a great or great conversation, Delroy. Tell everybody where they can find your podcast at, and how uh, they yeah. can follow you on social media and get in contact with you. No, um, of course. So you can find me on uh, Instagram and on YouTube under Fathers in Color. Um, uh, and uh, you can see our videos. Our videos speak about, you know, uh, tips and tricks of the trade, as well as the differences between how we were fathering and how we plan on fathering the next generation. So, yeah, you can find that on Instagram, Fathers in Color, here. And then you can find that on YouTube as well. There you go. And when you get a chance, make sure you subscribe to the, to the podcast. Great conversation. Mm -hmm. I like what you're doing. When we were talking before, I was saying, I had said something about a documentary. That's something you may want to consider. Hey, I'm, I'm looking into it. I'm looking into it. That'd be a good one. That's That'd a good one. Mm -hmm. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the No Ideas Original Podcast. We'll see you next week. Have a good evening, everybody. Peace. Peace.